Hi, this is Stover, the barbecue hunk. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Have a hunky day. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Central Show, a show that talks about the world of live fire barbecue and grilling, originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe, happy to have you right here on this show. We are live. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, send me an email, phone call, a mixture of both and or neither. Here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening. And boy, is this one of my favorite shows ever, potentially locking and loading as we speak. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, I am a huge fan of burgers. Hamburgers mostly, but every once in a while, like a lamb burger or a pork burger or a sausage burger, but mostly hamburgers I am a huge fan of. I share that love of burgerage with my eldest daughter, Bobby, who is currently at Seton Hall University. Shout out to the Griffins on the volleyball team. Hey, everybody. Good luck this coming weekend. I'll be in attendance, and yes, I will sign autographs again for everybody that is interested. Nevertheless, we have a unbridled passion for eating hamburgers in every form or fashion. And like a lot of things, not a lot, a few things. For me, it's pizza and burgers. Even the worst burger is still a pretty good burger. Even the worst pizza is still pretty good pizza. And the best burgers and or the best pizza typically means there's going to be multiples just getting crammed down your throat. And I have been chasing my guest in about 12 minutes from now for the last number of weeks, probably stretching into a month or so. And he is widely considered, although my daughter Bobby will argue that he is the country's foremost authority when it comes to hamburgers. You might know him from his work on books about hamburgers and films about hamburgers. There's other things that I can not confirm at this point that are about hamburgers that I will ask him about when I get him on the horn here in a few minutes. That, of course, is burger expert John Motes, first timer. Very excited. Very excited. 
So we'll be talking to George about a host of burger items, and we are going to get into the minutia. I mean, you know about this show, sometimes we keep it high level, sometimes we really like to dig down. It's a mixture of both other times. It will be burger minutia. So if you're not into burgers, tune the F out in about 11 minutes from now. That's all I can say. Then we will move to the second hour. It is the fourth Tuesday of the month, and you know what that means. People from Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and the Pacific Northwest. No specific region given other than Pacific Northwest. The embedded correspondence segment will refire, and it is a absolute barn burner for the embedded correspondence segment because we will be naming our 2019 Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Fame class. We inducted the inaugural Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Famers last year in 2018. There were sections or categories. Once we got that first class in and there were a number of them, that can be awful, uh, that can be also be found on the website. That initial class of 2018, we change it all up, 2019 and going forward. Five five total people will be making it in ongoing in no form or fashion other than here's the criteria. It's not that hard. I mean, it's hard initially because you have to get on the show and be interviewed. That's your Barbecue Hall of Fame criteria. You have to have showed up on the show as a guest since the inception. There's no time rules other than you have to have done a guest spot at some point on the show. And it can stretch all the way back to 2007 or 8 when we started the live shows, all the way up until as late as a week ago. That's all you have to do. Very easy to get uh, in the pool of potential Hall of Fame nominees. We have four locked in. We will argue one. To make it five, and then we will announce officially the class of 2019, the Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Fame. As time allows, we will then get into the national controversy, which is the Arby's Smokehouse Brisket Sandwich and the Subway Naturally Pit Smoked Brisket Sandwich. Compare, contrast, rate, review, and pick a winner. Wowee. This is a huge show. 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Don't forget you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram and Twitter slash BBQ Central Show on the Facebooks. And that's where you can also find a live video feed as well. All right. This past weekend, not only was there volleyball to be had, but Saturday all day, as I had been promoting for the last couple months, the 2019 Hartville Hardware Grill Fest. Yes. Thanks to Caitlin, Catherine, Steve, the rest of the crew at Hartville Hardware. This year, by far, the most successful to date. The weather was incredible. The general public turned out. The central lights turned out. I'm not sure how, from a weather and crowd standpoint, it could have gotten any better than what Saturday brought forth. And thanks for having me as the MC and host of the day. Completely my pleasure. And assuming the schedules line up for next year, I would just like to toss my hat in and say, let's do it again for 2020, baby. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Lots of great buys and packages or grills and cooker brands all there at the store. Great deals going on. There was a spare rib cooking contest. Weber grills, uh, Weber gas grills versus Big Green Egg versus Traeger. There were live cooking demos under the main tent area. 
There was my witty and engaging rapier banter to keep things moving. I held pop-up quiz-style trivia games, the winner getting specially donated prizes from Hartville Hardware. At the end of the day, while we were all waiting for the scores to get tabulated on the ribs contest side, I engaged the crowd by guerrilla interviewing cooks who competed on the three different styles of cookers. And let me tell you, some of these dudes were having none of it when it came to giving out info. I mean, can you believe that? We are literally in the middle of nowhere, Hartville, Ohio, and they are buttoned up and tight-lipped. Do you think this is the American Royal? You don't want to tell me what rub you're using or what temperature you're running your pit at? Spill it, geek. We want to know. We deserve it. We've been here all day. Anyway, we got our winners for each cooker, and the gent cooking on the Traeger took overall best-in-class title, so we congratulate him. And throughout the day, I got to meet some fans of the show, which for me is great. Some of you guys were like, hey, I just came out to see you for a couple minutes. Other folks uh, were getting to see me, but they were also cooking or taking part in the ribs contest. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's just great. Aaron from Go Big or Go Barbecue was competing. He gave me some of his new rub and sauce to try out, which I'll be doing shortly, hopefully. Jeff Gray was also competing, and we chopped it up for a bit. By the way, if you're keeping score, Jeff won the big green egg section of the competition. That's what we call show karma. He was in the chat room, or was it Twitter, last week going uh, or leading into this last weekend. So Jeff Gray, a winner and a show listener. Listener Scott was also there. We talked outside for a bit. Uh, He's also one of those guys I forced into talking with me while we were waiting for the scores to be tabulated. He was cooking on a Traeger. And then, of course, uh, the bourbon expert of Pittsburgh was also there, Scott Rittenbaugh. Hopefully, Scott, I said that last name right. Many others as well. An absolutely fantastic time. And as I would said, the weather was incredible. The demos were one-third great. Two-thirds, no names, please. The people at Hartville Hardware are second to none, first class, and they are really ready to step it up and take 2020 to a level the likes we have never seen. So if you missed it, make sure that you're making plans for around this time next year. Start making plans already. I'm already making my plans. So come on, let's get it on. Hartville Hardware 2020. Let's hashtag it. Let's make a trend locally here in Cleveland. Make a trend in Hartville, ladies and gentlemen. All right, George Motes coming up out of the break. Great to see everybody, by the way. If I missed you and you came up and said hi or you took a picture with me, I apologize. I didn't get your name in there right there, but great to see everybody. Thank you for coming out. Green Mountain Grills. That's right. Hey, hey, Hartville, how about carrying some Green Mountain Grills? We can add another cooker to the mix next year. Huh? How about that? Uh, Green Mountain Grill, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today, if you are in the market for a pellet cooker. Let's talk about Green Martin, uh, Green Mountain Grill. Two different models to choose from. The Classic line, I have a couple of those. They also have the Prime line that was announced earlier this year. The Prime line, a little bit more of a robust chassis. You have peek-in windows on the main cooking chamber, also on the wood pellet hopper as well. So you can see where that pellet hopper is on the wood level. 
Not one, but two internal meat temperature probes if you want to use that. And what have I been talking to you about with these new lines, these prime lines? 12-volt power technology. That's right. Super efficient fans. That means your pellet consumption will go down because it's just a more efficient burning cooker. Great sizes to choose from. Jim Bowie's the biggest one. Daniel Boone, middle size. Jim Bowie, uh, the uh, Davy Crockett is the creator of that original 12-volt technology. This is your portable one, right? So if you want to go to the Browns game this coming weekend or whatever football team that you like or your college team, totally portable, fits in your trucks, vans, and SUVs. And if you don't have access to a traditional power outlet, you can just stick it right in the 12-volt adapter in your car. Then you have pellet-fired goodness right at your fingertips. Can hold a couple pork butts, a couple racks of ribs. It's going to be good. Hey, and at least in Cleveland, no charcoal fires anymore. Can you believe it? How about that pellet fire? Sounds pretty good right now, right? Yeah. Head on over to GreenMountainGrills.com. Find out where a dealer is close to you. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. You also can take a look at their pellets and their sauces and their rubs and their other accessories. Like for the middle and top line cookers, you can rip the guts out of those and put in the pizza oven insert. That's fun. 130 bucks, 140 bucks. Come on. You got to get it. Green Mountain Grill, if it's your first grill, food saver, and the pizza oven insert. You're ready to rock. GreenMountainGrills.com. George Motes coming up. Stick around. Be right back. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Hey now, this portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products tested on the competition circuit as well as in the backyard worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood and visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up right now. I love Butcher Barbecue. Their grilling oils are the best. My guest in the first hour, an Emmy Award winning filmmaker and founder of the Food Film Festival, the author of the travel guide Hamburger America, the Great American Burger Book was hailed by the New York Times as the leading authority on hamburgers. He also hosted and produced Burgerland and hosted Made in America. We go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome first-timer to the show, George Motes. George, how are you, pal? Hey, how you doing? I'm absolutely fabulous, George. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening and finally getting together here. I'm very excited to have you. And... Let's jump right into it. Are you really ready to punch the next person in the face who blames farting cows for global warming? Uh, yes, because I think there's a wow. lot of misinformation about you know, global warming and, and how it relates to cows, for sure. I mean, I mean why wouldn't I? Is, is cow flatulence not uh, participating to the decreasing of the ozone layer? I just made up a few words there, by the way. Well, those are good made up words, but yes, I do believe it could have a very small part, but I mean, to be, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how can a cow's 
gas have anything, you know, up, up, how can, how can it uh, battle the, you know, the, the emissions from an airplane or a car? I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't know, but it seems like every time I go online, and obviously given the theme of the show here, I do a lot of research about barbecue, grilling, live fire in general. That lends itself to meat or beef in some form or fashion. And inevitably, right. every week I'm seeing some new article where if it's not cow farts, it's cow burps, or they're eating something, or they're breathing harder than they were 15 years ago, and we're all in for imminent death here in the next few weeks. Right. Well, yeah, I think the, the bottom line is that people, I mean, especially the media, loves to be able to use the hamburger as an example of what's killing us. At first, it was, you know, obviously you shouldn't eat too many hamburgers to kill you, which is probably true. But now they're trying to battle the battle this by coming at it at us from the angle of the of the, the farting animal, which I think is also ridiculous. <laughs> and the hammer, hammer, they're taking cheap shots at America's favorite food because they know they're going to get a lot of mileage out of it. The media, absolutely. George Moats joining us here on the show. Are you uh, also really working on a musical about hamburgers? <laughs> I've been working on a musical about hamburgers for a long time. It takes a long time. Um, but I mean, it's still, it's still kind of a back burner thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like what's a long time, five, 10, 20 years that you're working on this masterpiece. I've been working on this thing for probably about five years and but actually I've had, had meetings. I've taken meetings with agents. Really? So things are definitely going to happen. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I have a feeling that my hamburger restaurant is probably going to happen before hmm. the hamburger musical for sure. Now, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I tip, I know a lot of people within the live fire industry and it just so happens. I am a close personal friend with uh, also another Emmy award winner, by the way, um, John Marcus, who is really into the whole live play and, and musical thing. So if there's ever an introduction that needs to be made, or maybe you and John hang out in the Upper West Side or whatever it is, but I can make that intro if you need to. John's a good friend of mine. We've we've done events together. He's a great, great guy. Yeah, he's a great, bar, great like New York barbecue guy, which is very pretty unique in a way. All right, so uh, you are home based out of Brooklyn, New York, correct? Exactly. Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. All right, so are you a born and bred New Yorker, or are you uh, transplanted from somewhere? I grew up in on Long Island. I grew up in on Long Island, uh, Garden City, New York, <laughs> which is uh, you know not the most exciting town in the world. And I was excited to get the hell out of there, honestly. Um, but I've, I've done nothing but travel my entire life after leaving Garden City, for sure. So as we kind of roll back here, I don't want to just assume everybody knows uh, how cool you are and uh, that you're the foremost burger authority, but uh, a young George Motes uh, is a passion for burgers developing within you you know, as a youth that you can remember? Is it something that the family ate a lot of and you just kind of took a a shine to it, or how does the the passion for burger develop otherwise? You know, I just growing up on Long Island, which was uh, you know it was a bit singular. It wasn't the most exciting place to grow up, especially where I grew up. Um, and for me, I, I think I dreamed about what it was like in the rest of the country. And uh, I'm one of the only people I know who got out of Garden City mm-hmm. and actually went and explored America. And uh, to, I did it in a way that I was exploring, like you know, the foreign countries, like exploring India and Africa. <laughs> I really took it very, very seriously, and. I, I made a point to see every single state in the United States before I saw anything else in the world. And I did. I mean, actually, actually, at this point, I've gotten to 48 states, of 50 states. Um, and I actually went to 48 of the 47 of those before I even went uh, as far as shores. Hmm. Uh, well, so what are the two that are remaining? Still remaining states. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I've actually owned it down to, uh, there's still two. No, there's one. It's just Alaska. It's the only one I haven't been to. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I conquered, I conquered uh, North Dakota. 
Um, about two years ago. I forgot about this. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually at 40, 49 right now. <laughs> right, 49 of the 50 U.S. states George has been through. So, I mean, do you have a favorite one or is that like a favorite kid type of question? It's, a, that's a, it's definitely a favorite kid kind of question because I really, I have, I see so much great in America. I really do. And I have, when I get out there, I mean, I, I've taken vacations that have nothing to do with, you know, research or work at all. I've just gone to, you know, burger destinations, just to eat burgers and eat burgers and talk to people. That was it. Um, I mean, if I, I would say that, you know, people, I think, tend to call them the flyover states. They, they, talk, they talk about, you know, Iowa and Oklahoma and Ohio and Michigan, uh, so Michigan, Michigan so much. But um, there is there's so much to see and do there that people really can't believe it until they actually put set foot in the state and start exploring. You know, I really love I love Oklahoma. I love the, I love the Midwest. There's so much real America there. Have you been to Cleveland? <laughs> been to Cleveland, yes. I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You have? Guess <laughs> who times. Guess yes. who hasn't been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Your humble host. No, come on. Yes. I live 10 minutes away from the Rock and Roll. But here's the deal. Uh, I mean, everybody that I know, and it's been plenty of people now over the last, you know, however many years it's actually been up and running, that have come out and been like, eh. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I mean, why do it's such a non-glowing review. It's like somebody took a bite of a really bad piece of food and said oh this is not good george you take a bite i mean you're like no way i don't want to do that so i guess i've just I, I stayed away bite. i loved, loved it there i loved it i mean i I'm, i'm a huge fan of music live music and it really is a place to, if you're a fan of music it's a great place to immerse yourself for sure <laughs> did you have any uh stick out food moments while you visited cleveland i had ice cream at a place that had ice cream. i'm not sure where i was now but it was a place that had ice cream that was from a uh i guess a, uh, a former um, uh, department store. Do you know about this at all? <laughs> uh, it's not ringing a bell. The, like the, <laughs> the, the big, uh, ice cream thing now here locally is a Mitchell's ice cream, but I don't know if that's right. even the same thing. But this is an old, old school thing that came, I guess it was originally served at some small counter in a, in a department store in Cleveland. Hmm. And some guy bought the recipe and served it in his ice cream shop, which is just outside <laughs> of, I think just West of Cleveland. I mean, oh. it's totally random. I know, but it was fantastic. It's kind of like a soft serve type. Ice cream, kind of chocolatey, kind of coffee-like. I'm not sure, but it was really good. All right. I'll have to do a little more digging on that. Uh, What about from a burger standpoint? Did you take in any Cleveland burgers of any type? I mean, not much. I got to tell you. I mean, I don't have any favorites there except for... Who has the galley boy? What's the place with the galley boy? The that's, driving uh, the galley boy. That's Swenson's. But Swenson's. I mean, I can't Sorry. even believe. We're, are we going to get into our first controversy of the evening? You know what? As somebody who has had a lot of burgers in my day, and I told my oldest at Seton Hill University that I said, "Bobby, I'm having uh, the foremost hamburger authority in the country on this." She's like, "Dad, you know I'm the foremost hamburger authority, and I would love to have a conversation with George, and we would uh, trade barbs." And I said, just back down, kid, and focus on those studies in volleyball. But Swenson's, <laughs> to me, it's it's local. It's grown a tad. It's got that, you know, uh, dudes running around real quick to your car, and it kind of scares me a little bit, and quickly the food comes out. But I don't know, aside from just a little bit of a unique taste to that Galley Boy burger, if it's really kind of uh, life-changing. Um, well, I'll tell, you why I'll tell you why it's important. It's because... A place like Swenson's uh, actually has a DNA DNA in it that goes back to the original uh, drive-in, which actually predates even the hamburger. Hmm. Original drive-ins were actually uh, they started with a pig stand. They actually started as pig stands in Texas, and that what they what those kids do, those teenagers do, is they're doing exactly what car hops did back in the in the 30s and 40s in Texas, 
and of course, eventually across across America. Hmm. Do you know where the word car hop comes from? Yep. Do you know where the, the story of the car hop? I do not. So, so somebody is as active as the say the car hops or the the, the guys that would come out and take your order at Swenson's. Yep. They would literally run out to the street as a car was turning into the lot, and they would jump onto the running board of a car, <laughs> car hop, huh. <laughs> and they would ride your car into a spot while they were taking your order. Really? They would they would they would, yeah, they would buy a few seconds to actually take the order on your by standing on your running board. What can I get you, sir? <laughs> wow, that's a great story. So, so if you think about it, Swenson's actually is an extraordinarily important piece of American food history. All right, I'll buy that. Uh, very good. We're talking with George Motes, <laughs> totally. And uh, car hop totally makes sense now that you actually explained it because nobody's done that before. Um, so <laughs> let's uh, I mean, let's talk about, uh, and maybe you don't like to you know hear it or you know it's just humble, but you know being the leading hamburger uh, hamburger authority. So how does one build a way to be recognized as a hamburger authority? I mean, I started uh, almost 20 years ago. I made a film just for fun about, called Hamburger America, which was a, a, a very small, I mean, actually a very quiet film that explored eight different hamburger restaurants in America. And back then, nobody was doing any, any kind of hamburger reporting at all. <laughs> I mean, even the Food Network hadn't, even, they hadn't taken the hamburger seriously at all. Hmm. It wouldn't show up at any kind of show at all. So someone said to me, could you have a Food Network? Could you make some content for, you know, for some in between the shows? And I said, sure, why not? And I made one little five-minute clip about a hamburger place in New Mexico, and I realized that it was so much bigger than any kind of silly Food Network thing. And I ended up making a, a one-hour documentary that went on PBS, it went on the Sundance Channel, oh, wow. and that sort of started my whole, my, uh, my branding, if you will, for the whole hamburger world that I'm now, <laughs> I now basically own. It's kind of funny. I mean, do you, do you dig that? Do you dig kind of being the face of a, of a portion of an industry? I do. I mean, I do, I, because I'm asked my opinion often, I, I do have the answers, which is kind of nice. Uh, but I do, I'm constantly, I mean, I, I'm getting, I'll probably get 10, 15 uh, texts a day saying, you hear this happened, this person left closed, this person changed this meat, this, mm. this person has a new spatula. <laughs> I mean, I've become a lightning rod for everything. I mean, I hear everything that's going on. So even though I, you know, the whole, the idea of being an expert is that you have passion and you obviously for something you have, ex- you have knowledge. So if you, if you combine passion and knowledge, you do become an expert. And I've got both those things, I mean, spades for sure. So prior to Hamburger America coming out or, you know, I'm sure there was a bunch of time that you were working on it and then leading up to its release. But prior to that, what are you doing as a profession? Is it uh, photography? Is it videography? Yeah. So what I do, so I mean, before, the reason I was able to make this film happen is I'm a, I'm a, a director of photography by trade. I, I'm basically, I, I shoot, I was, back then I was shooting a lot of TV shows and uh, TV commercials. And I would travel a lot. And every time I was on the road, I was, people would say to me, George, you going to go check out a hamburger spot? <laughs> they would laugh at me. Yeah, actually, I'm, I've got my camera in the bag. I want to go interview somebody about hamburgers, hmm. and which I did. I mean, I spent a lot of time. So I would basically piggyback jobs. I would be in Milwaukee. I would be in Santa Fe. I'd be in California. And I would bring my camera and I would shoot interviews people just to get an idea of, you know, what, 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 what actually, what is Hamburger America? Let's do this. Can we find or is there a trackable quote unquote first burger or burger zero of the hamburger world does it exist it's you know it's it probably does but none of us really have that kind of information because it happened before the internet (laughs) and the internet always tells the truth by the way george i don't know if you knew that or not (laughs) exactly so but if you if you go back to the very very beginning the reason we don't have anything that's actually track traceable is simply because um, the hamburger may have uh, been invented at a state fair. And of course, state fairs are transient. 
And we're talking about state fairs in the 1890s, 1895. Mm. And, you know, back then there was, people would say, oh, I had this great thing at a, it was a Hamburg steak, which is normal back then was served on a plate with a serve with a knife and a fork. I mean, my guess is somebody at the state fair watched a hot dog walk by and said, whoa, we should put our Hamburg steak on a, on a piece of bread. Mm. And that may have been how it was. And it probably happened four or five, six times over in a span of five years. And then, so there's really no way to track a lot of claims of the original hamburger. We do know that it definitely it started at a state fair somehow in the Midwest. Does it surface in a more stable brick and mortar and or restaurant environment at some point? It does actually. I mean, one of the the, the best claims that I like, not probably not an original claim, was the timing was a little bit late. Uh, it was 1900 that a place called Louis Lunch in Connecticut served the. They say they served the first hamburger steak <laughs> on bread, which hmm. is basically chopped beef cooked somehow. It served on bread. And their, their story that I guess the fifth generation family member told was that somebody ran in and said, I'm in a rush. Can you, I, I can't, I don't have time for a knife and a fork. Could you please just throw it on some bread? And they say they invented it then, though I do believe that it may have been invented in the Midwest before that. What's nice, though, is that at Louis Lunch in Connecticut, it's the, it still is the, uh, the longest continually operating hamburger restaurant in America, which I find fascinating. I mean, they've been around for 119 years. So you can go right there today and, and- potentially get the f- first creation of a hamburger right there in 2019. Yeah, they should actually still make it on toast. Oh, really? <laughs> they, have, wow. they never adopted the bun. <laughs> is, it a, is it a big place? I mean, do people go there for nostalgia and to say they ate there, or is it you know pretty run-of-the-mill busy? It's funny. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> you, do get, you get fans there who can't believe they're, they're eating in what we call hamburger church. It's like one of the most important <laughs> places in, in, the, in the world of hamburgers. Uh, you walk in, there's no music, there's no music playing, there's nobody saying, hi, can I take your order? <laughs> they really couldn't give a crap about you. You walk in, <laughs> and <laughs> they look at you like you've just walked in up, you know, like, what do, you, what do you want? And you give them your order, and they're happy to give you a burger, but they're not, it's not all warm and fuzzy. You know, it's not that you don't, you, if, you, if you ask for ketchup, you're shown the door. If you ask for too many burgers, oh, you're shown the door. Wow. You know, if you tell them that you want a burger cooked a certain way, they'll look at you like you're crazy, you know? And I tell people, just when you walk in there, just don't be a jerk. Just, just do just walk in there and get the burger they've been serving for 119 years. Enjoy it and get the hell out of there. <laughs> is that a is that a stick a shtick that they're running there, or they're just built like that? No, it's. I swear it is no shtick. I've known these guys forever. They're, they've become good friends of mine, and they are just they're just. I mean, they're hard boiled. They're this is like hard boiled hamburger, you know, hamburger royalty as far as I'm concerned. Uh, George Moats joining us here on the show. Uh, by the way, if you want to check out his website, it is uh, his name, georgemotes.com, and uh, you can check him out here while we're chagging up here over the next few minutes. So, George, let's kind of pull it back out again here at 30,000 feet and uh, talk a little bit of opinion here. So, in your estimation, what makes burgers great, regardless of type and region? We'll get all of that stuff here in a minute, but what makes burgers great? I mean, the number one ingredient to a great burger is fresh ground beef cooked correctly. Um, and, and the second thing is, I think is also equally as important is that once you have that fresh ground beef, how do you build a burger? I mean, mm. you know, your first bite of a burger really should be the thing that you say to yourself, I'm coming back. <laughs> so you take that first bite and you've got a taste of everything in that first bite, whether it's, you know, it's just a burger and cheese and the bun, or you're tasting all the elements that the person gave you that, that the, the, the sauce and the onions, whatever else is on there, it should all be in the first bite. So that's the most important thing is that the, I call the comeback bite, that the first bite should be the one that says I'm coming back. Hmm. 
when you talk about the meat, uh, I've had a number of people on here during the course of a, the twelve year run of the show. Then we get fairly into the minutia of you know, is it choice? Is it prime? Is it certified Angus? Is it Wagyu? Is it eighty twenty? Is seventy five fifteen? Blah blah blah. Uh, what do you find to be the best uh, meat choice? And then what's your fat blend choice as well? Yeah, again, it has to be fresh, but never frozen. I mean, even sometimes if you freeze a large, you know, side of animal or you freeze, you know, boxed beef and then you try to grind it, it's still going it, to, you've already destroyed the cells of the animal. You're much better off starting with a fresh product. The best bur- burgers will always come from an animal that was never frozen. Um, and for me, it's, I was, it's Chuck, honestly. If you can, I mean, the foolproof way is to go 80 20 or 75 25 Chuck, which means 75% lean, 25% fat. This is the, I think it's probably the best thing for a burger. Temperature-wise, as you're cooking, do you have a uh, internal temperature of the burger that you like to pull it off at, or, or are you a thermometer guy when you're cooking burgers, or does all just kind of look, feel, poke? Yeah, I'm all, actually I'm only a thermometer guy for the cooking surface, not for the internal temperature, because I, mm. I, I mm. my favorite burger to cook is a smash burger. I like to be able to cook a burger smash, you know, super thin but cooked fast and hot. Um, and for that, I need a, a griddle that's burning at least 500 degrees. So you, if, if, if my thermometer is kicking back 500 degrees, I have a surface, surface read thermometer. If it's 500 degrees, I'm in great shape. Um, let's talk about Smash Burger for a second because I've, I mean, it's obviously been around for quite some time. It's a favorite of yours, and I've been seeing it, you know, I'd say over the last uh, 18 to 24 months, a lot more prevalently in YouTube videos, on some of the Periscope videos, and so forth. Can you give me an idea of, for somebody who doesn't know us about a smash burger, the, the general concept and how you bring it from start to finish? I mean, the basic idea is smash burger goes back to the beginning of the hamburger age. I mean, the, the smash burger was invented strictly for speed. It was only done for to get people in and out of the restaurant as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Other guys at the beginning had stools with four to six stools. I mean, actually, they had, had with, I'm sorry, they had stands with four to six stools in front. And if you had a guy sitting on a stool, you want to get him out of there as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So you'd get you. You took little balls of beef and you smashed them on a flat top and they cooked within about 30 seconds to a minute. They cook super fast. They go on, they go on to a very small, back then, they threw them on dinner rolls, small uh, Pullman rolls or dinner rolls. That's where we get the slider from. Um, and then you could buy four or five or six of those and, and you know, inhale those and walk away and, and free the stool up. <laughs> so you start, you go, if you think about a smash burger, it really is all about speed. But it's also happening. The smash burger has to be cooked on a flat top. It has to be cooked on some kind of a hot surface to get that really, really amazing, crunchy, you know, griddled char. And that, that I think is the best part about the flavor profile. You know, a lot of the thicker burgers they're fantastic and they're full of juice. They're full of juices that taste like a steak. But honestly, you know, when you're trying to make a smash burger, you're not trying to make a, a burger that tastes like a steak. <laughs> Are you looking for juiciness of that, or I mean, is it a whole different expectation? There's two different types of juice. <laughs> there is actual rendered fat inside of inside of a, um, uh, a, a again thick patty burger. Yeah. But there's also some other like regular, you know, the the liquefied, you know, the uh, liquefaction that's happening inside that's not has nothing to do with any kind of liquefied fat at all. With a smash burger, it's strictly just liquid fat, <laughs> hmm. um, and it's concentrated liquid fat because you smashed it thin. And are you typically stacking these or, I mean, can it just be one on a, on a, on a, well, okay, let me back up for a second. Uh, When you, people are now talking about meat to bun ratio. I'm getting some instant chat stuff here. Uh, Do you have a meat to bun ratio 
specificity depending on the type of burger that you're making? Or typically, if you're making this kind of burger, you want to have about this much bun? I mean, to me, the best meat, to, I'll give you some secrets here, inside scoop, that the, um, <laughs> the best, for me, the best meat to bun ratio is a three-inch potato roll, so three-inch bun, uh, and you're talking about two separate patties. If you have two smashed patties that are about two and a half to three ounces each, probably two and a half ounces is probably enough. So you're talking about a five, five ounces of meat, the three-inch bun is probably the best way to go. And you're talking about smash this. If you, if you take a two-and-a-half-ounce patty and you smash it thin, it has to be in a little bit bigger the size of the bun. So that's a pretty thin patty. But what you get, though, is you end up with four surfaces that have the Maillard reaction with a nice brittle crunch. We get that nice, that, that almost like, it's almost like beef candy as the belt on the outside of the burger. But you have four sides that have it on there. Are you a bun, me hungry. Are you a bun toaster? I'm not, it's funny. I do appreciate the bun toast. I do. I don't appreciate people who put too much butter on, on a burger. It doesn't make any sense to me because if you, if you over-butter the bun, the bun will just fall apart. Right? Because once all those rendered fats start to attack the bun, you've got a matter of seconds before that thing falls apart in your hand. So if, if you have a buttered bun and you haven't toasted it correctly or too much butter, it will definitely deteriorate the bun way faster. So for me, I personally actually like to do what I call letting it ride. I flip a burger on a flat top. And then I put the crown to the top part of the bun down first. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the cheese goes down first, and the crown goes on top of the cheese. Then I put the heel of the bun upside down or right side up on top of the top of the bun. <laughs> and it becomes this, this stack of two buns and cheese and meat that end up actually steaming the bun while it's sitting there on top of the, on the flat top for the mm -hmm. next minute or two. Mm -hmm. Nice. George Moats talking to us about uh, all things burgers here. George, can I... Hold you just for one second, and then we'll pick it up here right after I do a quick read. Sure. All right, stand by. We are talking with the foremost burger authority, George Motes. Again, his website is georgemotes.com, M-O-T-Z.com. Uh, quickly, let me talk to you about Southside Market and barbecue for anyone who loves sausage and barbecue. Southside established in 1882. They are the oldest barbecue joint in Texas. They've been owned and operated by the same family for three generations. Famous for the original beef sausage. That's a coarse ground product in a natural pork casing. They also do authentic Central Texas barbecue meats as well. All of those, including the prime brisket, slow smoked for many hours over real Texas post oak wood. They ship nationwide via the online store, southsidemarket.com. And they also ship fresh and smoked sausages nationwide. Shipping customers can choose to order now. And ship later, they can include a custom gift note. You can also mail to multiple addresses without additional charges. All shipped items are vacuum sealed to ensure freshness and ease of preparation for the customers. Shipped with dry ice to ensure complete freshness upon arrival. All meats processed in a on-site USDA-inspected facility. Meat markets for fresh and smoke products. Custom orders are welcome as well. Two restaurants if you want to eat at them. Elgin, Texas since 1882 and Bastrop, Texas since 2014. Grocery distribution through Texas and many surrounding states as well. If you go to southsidemarket.com and you load up on the sausages and the barbecue meats and all that stuff as you check out, use promo code BBQ Central. That's one word, all lowercase, BBQ Central for 10% off your entire order. Not just the first time, but every time. You go to southsidemarket.com. Back with more Burger Talk with George Motes. Stick around. We'll be right back.
continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookingPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit Cooking, C-O-O-K-I-N, CookingPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also buy from Amazon.com if you want. little fledgling website for Amazon. And George rejoins us here. George, thanks for hanging with me through the break there, and we get back to some more burger talk. Um we were talking about Smash Burger. Let me tie that up here because I've seen some of your videos and the picture you sent me to use here on the video size has a lot of onions on them. Is that a personal preference or is that a requirement in your estimation? A little bit of both, I guess. But um, it is um, – that's actually – when I make – when I do events, um, I make a burger called the Oklahoma Fried Onion Burger. And that only came about because I wrote a cookbook about three or four years – three years ago. And someone said to me, well, could you come on the show and, and you know, you come on a TV show and make a burger and look at you make in a five-minute segment? I thought, what would be the best bang for my bang for their buck? And it became th- that burger, which is a smash-thin burger. It goes back to the 1920s in central Oklahoma, actually specifically a place called El Reno, Oklahoma. Hmm. Uh, what they do is they actually take equally-sized, you know, uh, equal, equally-sized wad of uh, thin-sliced sweet, sweet onion, and they smash it into a ball of beef, and it cooks and it kind of intermingles and uh, mixes with the beef grease and caramelizes on the edges and gets kind of soft in the middle. Uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's, it's a, it's one of those burgers that I believe has the, the, the sum is greater than its parts for sure. There's no question about it. It's people bite in this burger and they say, take a bite and they say, what, what, what's the sauce? What's the secret? What are your seasonings? And there's nothing. It's literally five ingredients. It's only the bun, beef, cheese, salt, and onions. Mm. And that's it. Sometimes simplicity is the most uh, complex of flavors, right? What I, what I, exactly what I like to think is that, you know, my job is to make sure that people are not just getting it right, but they're also, you know, getting a historically, getting a historically accurate burger. They're actually enjoying something that is not just something that I made up on my own. And I've got this special blend of spices and whatever else. No, but my job is to make sure you're eating burgers or enjoying burgers that have some kind of historical significance. And that's that burger for sure. George, when you're smashing the smash burger, is there a technique or a proper device that you need to use to smash or it doesn't matter? Oh, no, it definitely matters. I mean, I, I developed a special tool called the Smashula, which is nothing more than a, 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 like a quadruple weight, um, very, very stiff stainless steel spatula. It's a big wide spatula, but I've had problems where I've, I've tried to smash with, with certain spatulas that have cracked and broken on me. Hmm. If you're trying to make four or five, 600 burgers, a day, um, the, the, you can never get through a day without breaking a spatula. It's almost impossible. So I invented a 12-gauge stainless um, spatula that is designed just for taking balls of beef and you know, systematically smashing them exactly the same way every time. Hmm. But what I actually do is a little different. I actually have a method, <laughs> which is uh, I stole a method from three different spots in the Midwest, and it involves a very specific uh, roll, like a smash and roll. It's hard to explain as you actually see it happen. Um, but I do something that actually allows the edges to get very, very thin and crispy, almost like a, like the lacy edged burgers of central Illinois, which is a very specific type of burger, but it really, it makes for a very, very special burger. Is there a uh, web? I mean, can I, can I buy that smashula on your website or are they on Amazon or where do you get them? I, I wish you could. We, we actually sold out last December. <laughs> Our factory quit on us and we could not find anyone to, to actually pick up the, uh, <laughs> pick up where they left off. 
we currently, unfortunately, have a waiting list of about 250 people waiting for Smashula. Really? Um, we're, we're, we're trying to get back into production. I think that we are pretty close right now with a person who has taken it, taken it upon themselves. I said, listen, if, if you start now, we've got a very large order for you. So who wants it? And I think we, we finally found somebody. So hopefully we'll have, I mean, the, the, the idea is to have Smashulas by Christmas, hopefully. All right. So if you are interested in one of George's Smashulas, uh, head up his website and kind of keep track of what's going on and hopefully production starts to take off. Um, let's talk about this unique thing. And it's not unique now, but, you know, when it first started showing up on burgers, maybe it's been around forever and it was just kind of one of those internet things is the uh, sunny side or the over easy egg on top of a burger and then you either cut it in half or you lance it with a knife so you know you get the nice yolk porn shot for your instagram or whatever but i mean have uh have these kind of eggs been on burgers for like decades and decades or is it a fairly new fashion well i say in america it's fairly new only because there are a few places in america that have always had an egg on a burger I know a place in uh, in Virginia. I know there's another place in Texas. But outside of that, I don't. Uh, it, the, an egg on a burger was is relatively new to Americans. Now, if you think about it, eggs on burgers have been happening forever around the world. I mean, eggs eggs play very very well in most cuisines in the world. In fact, I had a, I had, a, I had an Italian egg dish tonight for dinner, which is kind of odd. Um, but you think about eggs on burgers, you think I mean they're. They've been doing it forever in Indonesia. They've been doing it for forever also in um, Australia. I mean, the idea that the Australian burger has it has a has a cooked egg, a fried egg on it, but not so much in America. It's a newish thing. It's it's actually become sort of a trendy gourmet thing also. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that all these guys who own these restaurants say, hey, you know, let's put a, a an egg yolk, it's, you know, it's uh, half cooked, and then when it pops on Instagram, everyone everyone will come and run and eat, eat our burger, which of course is completely asinine. It makes me totally insane. <laughs> I mean, it makes me crazy. <laughs> but let's talk about from. I mean, aside from that, and I believe I, I used to call it yolk porn, and we we used to make yeah. fun of people. You know, they didn't realize it, but we were making fun of people that were doing it all the time. <laughs> from a taste and a textural addition to the burger, I think the that buttery yolk and the 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 beef and the cheese and you know whatever else is on top, it all plays wildly well together albeit a, a little messy and so forth but i mean what do you think what do you think it adds uh, to a positive or a negative no I mean, there's no, no question about it that it adds a, adds a, a very important richness to the burger but i mean this i i'm sort of torn because i mean to me if i go into a restaurant and i, I travel the world i've been a lot of places and if i i see a dish that has an egg on top i'm excited about it because i know it's going to add a certain amount of richness to the to that dish for sure I'm not so much. I'm not so sure. I want that on my burger, though. I mean, to me, I think about the original burger. I think about the concept of the burger as something very, very simple and nothing more than meat, and cheese, maybe just meat and onions and mustard, maybe a pickle, mm. and that's what I want. I don't really want an egg on my burger. I want an egg for breakfast. <laughs> I don't want an egg on my burger. Uh, would you be good if they cooked like a, a dozen eggs and bled them all out, and then you had like a ramekin of uh, egg yolk that you could like dip your burger in? Or are we are we conceptualizing something for George Moats's hamburger machine when it opens up? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, yeah, I have friends who have very great high end restaurants. They've got eggs in their burgers. I love them. I love their burgers. But honestly, if I'm talking about a daily beater, something I'm going to literally eat every single day, yeah. I guarantee even those guys would show up in the restaurant saying, I don't want that burger with egg on it. I think I want a regular, good old American cheeseburger, something I can literally enjoy every day and not even think yeah. about it. Right on. Uh, George Moss joining us here on the show. All right, so let's have the uncomfortable conversation related to plant-based 
meets, the two biggest names out there, of course, Beyond and Impossible. And for whatever reason, George, the debut comes as hamburger-style patties. So do you have any you know, high-level thoughts on plant-based meat and the fact that they entered a market uh, with hamburgers, no less? Well, they entered the bar, <laughs> the market with hamburgers for the, ba- I mean, for the such a, I mean, a basic reason that um, it's it was an easy, it was an easy grab. People could understand that more than people could understand the the farting cow over what a car <laughs> might produce for some reason. I'm not sure why. They could also understand, you know, on any food that you could have created this out of nothing, out of a science project. For some reason, the hamburger made the most sense. So the people who are making this this um, what I call it, I call it imposter. <laughs> it's the imposter burger. Um, they're trying, which is fine. They're trying to tackle the market and successfully. So, I mean, they're, but they're preying on guilt, unfortunately, which I don't think is not such a great thing. They're actually, they don't care about vegetarians, which they've openly said. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. They couldn't give a crap about vegetarians because vegetarians only make up, I think 6% of America, the American, uh, palate. <laughs> they care about the other 90, 94% of Americans who actually are carnivores. They're trying to convert them. When I, I spoke to them, I asked my friends at Impossible Foods and they said, we're actually not trying to convert them. We're trying to basically tell them that they have an option. They have, they have, they have options. So, I mean, research has shown that every seventh sandwich that someone eats at a fast food restaurant is going to be something alternative. Before there was Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, there was uh, the chicken sandwich <laughs> or the turkey burger, which is, I think, the biggest sham in the world. Um, it's also not very healthy either, by the way. I don't know everything is so healthy. It's full of crap. It's full, it's full of a lot, a lot of stuff. That has, I mean, a hamburger itself is literally has nothing in it but hamburger and hamburger fat and a lot of good natural stuff. You know, you put you put a lot of like breadcrumbs and crap in a, a turkey burger to make it taste like anything. So, so Beyond Meat is actually they're uh, Beyond Meat and uh, Impossible Foods are actually on the right track in terms of trying to you know get people to to eat burgers. The problem is it doesn't taste like a burger. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I would argue that uh, while they're trying to, I guess, provide an alternative, uh, that they definitely don't care about humans in general because if you look at the <laughs> calorie intake and how highly yeah. processed it is. Uh, and I've said it on this show for months and months now. It's not a healthy alternative by any by any stretch of the imagination. It's not healthier than yeah, red meat. Yeah. It's not going to save your life. It's not going to do any of that. It's just a beef alternative, and that's all it is. And I think some people continually get caught up in, okay, well, it's not meat, so that means it must be healthy. Even though they're not saying it, they're not also not saying it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, you, I hate to say it, but if you look at, Look, at this thing about Americans, you know, what they looked like physically in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. I mean, you have the Depression in there for a while, and then people were probably starving. But they were pretty thin. They were pretty lean humans. Mm. Look at pictures of your grandparents. Yeah. You know, they, they look fantastic. <laughs> Why did it look so good? Because they were eating natural foods. before This is before processing, before anything, pretty much. And um, a hamburger is not a really it's not a bad thing. It's not bad for you. The bun may be worse than the actual meat itself, yeah. in a way, if you think about it. So, sure, I mean, I do believe that, that companies like uh, Beyond and Impossible, they're tr- they're tr- what they're basically doing is they're preying on guilt, which is, is an interesting part of the American psyche, um, but it's a very important part of branding and the way business is run. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're, they're onto something, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I had had Pat LaFrieda on the show maybe two and a half months ago, and he's kind of semi-recurring. We love to talk beef with Pat, and he's... A, from a high level there, LaFrieda Meats is a supporter of the alternative beef or the plant-based meat product, but he said entering into this sector as a burger is a tremendous failure and it's not going to overcome the necessary hurdles it needs 
in order to probably see the success that they were hoping for. But he seems to think that in a different form, let's say ground beef or, or something along these lines in a commercial kitchen or in the kitchen in your house, that's going to be where the ultimate success lies for Beyond and Impossible Meat. Well, if, if they're, it's, again, it's still a size project. It's still a marketing ploy. It's a lot of things that haven't quite fleshed out yet. Pardon the term. They haven't really fleshed out what's happening here. Um, you know, they're getting there. They, they, they've done, I mean, they've done an amazing amount of marketing and they've done a lot. It's really obviously been very effective. People are talking about it nonstop. I must have done 10 interviews a week. Um, the minute that the, the good old BK decided to go with impossible foods. Mm. Um, so but I think it's definitely, it's, it's the, the problem that I have with it. It's simply that it doesn't taste good, <laughs> which I think if you're talking about a hamburger, I think you gotta be, you gotta nail the taste first. And they've had, Point, you know, they've had 2.0 was introduced last year, and it was honestly, it was a lot better than the 1.0, that's for sure. Hmm. But it wasn't quite there yet. And I see what they're missing is so they're missing a very important scientific component that we've talked, I've talked about with them. They're missing oleic acid. Hmm. Oleic acid is something that's found in mostly in the bottom of the animal uh, briskets and the, the slower yep. cooked cuts. You yep. know, it's, the oleic acid is a very important uh, aspect to flavor profile of meat. Uh, it also exists. You can also find it in, in avocado, and you can find it in uh, olive oil. Uh, so it exists out there. But it, you have to have that. That's what that's what has. That's that's what people go back to brisket. They can't understand why they love brisket so much. And it's because of that. It's because of the, the the draw of oleic acid. If I'm not mistaken, I believe I recently read an article that said oleic acid is actually. Uh, a health benefit too. I mean, I didn't go out of its way to say you should be eating eight pounds of brisket, but it said if you're going to eat <laughs> red meat, maybe you know a brisket with the benefits of oleic acid probably isn't a bad thing. Or if you have the uh, option, choose the brisket. This is true, <laughs> but it really, it's more of the high. It's more of the high you get from uh, from eating brisket. That it, 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 I mean, it is inherent in the oleic acid. Hmm. That's where it comes from. All right, George, I'm going to put you on the spot here with 30 seconds left to go. Uh, favorite burger you have ever eaten and why? Oh, I can't. That's, that's, a, that's a secret. I can't tell you that. That's, I can't play favorites, unfortunately. I can't do that. All right, I'm going to tell you my favorite burger because I don't have go. any problem calling people out. The favorite burgers, and it just recently happened on my visit to Chicago uh, a couple Ooh. weeks ago. I went to O'Cheval on the West Loop. I was expecting a three-hour line. It was a Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. I got right in, sat right down at the bar, yep. watched the symphony and masterpiece that was happening at the flat top with like a dozen dudes back there sweating on top of each other. That burger, and it was a double burger. They were thinner. I did get the egg, thick-cut bacon. It was a sublime <laughs> marriage of meat and fat and cheese, and the bun was delicious. I think by far currently the best restaurant hamburger I've had. Have you have you been there? Well, of course I've been there. Um, uh, I've been there a bunch of times. Uh, yeah. I do love the burger. I think that's what I mean. If you're looking at Chicago, it's obviously one of the best in the Midwest. One of the best gourmet higher end burgers in Chicago for sure, mm-hmm. unquestionably. I'm not a big fan of that big piece of pork belly they put on there though, or bacon, whatever they call it. Yeah, they call um, it bacon. It needs to come off. They yep. need to take that off there, or you just take it off yourself and eat it as a snack <laughs> later on. Put it in your pocket and save it for later. Right. Um, the egg, I think, is an add-on. You, you, it must have added the egg. I yeah, think, it was right? an add-on. Had, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I've had the egg, and I've actually the first time I went there, I had the egg. I thought it was too much. It was too rich. It was too, <laughs> too much going on. I need to take a nap after this. A burger shouldn't make you have to take a nap. You should, a burger should be something that, that <laughs> propels you through the day, not makes you want to crash. You know. Right. Uh, <laughs> so the egg was a bit much, but I, I definitely, I, I, I've 
I do appreciate that burger for sure. That is a great burger. Yeah. Right. I'm not gonna tell you that in New York City we have a new great burger just came just came out. Uh, Billy Dirty at, at uh, who started Hometown yep. a Barbecue Place. I'm sure you've heard of Hometown. Oh, he yeah. opened a restaurant called Red Hook Tavern. That burger is literally off the charts, and it's so good because it is nothing more than dry edge cuts blended with some other you know fresh meat, fresh beef, um, cooked on a flat top, <laughs> and served on a like a very basic bun with nothing more than American cheese. Hmm. And it is fantastic. And I love the fact that it's, it's, it's a triumph for burgers because there's nothing to this burger except for the quality of the meat and the way it's cooked and cheese, and that's it. Well, October 8th and 9th, I may be in New York City for my middle daughter's uh, modeling gig, and that means most of the day I have nothing to do but toil around. So that could be a place where I, I might want to hit up then, right? Give me a call. You're not going to get in without me. Oh, very good. Then uh, George has laid it out there on the line. I will definitely take you up on that if that actually comes to fruition. In the meantime, you can hit up George's website, georgemotes.com, and see everything that he has done. And uh, also, uh, this archive will be available tomorrow uh, just after the midnight hour sweep. George, this has been an incredible couple segments, great insight, uh, great energy, and I certainly appreciate Hopefully, we can do it again. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it. There he is. The foremost authority of burgers, George Motes. And wow, a lot of energy, which uh, as a host, I certainly appreciate. And man, great stuff. Great info. Wow. I'm really, he's really into that smash burger. I don't know if I am. That's all right. We're allowed to have our own opinions. I do have a, I think Traeger made some kind of a smashula. They don't call it a smashula, but it's a huge, heavy spatula. I'll have to take a picture of it and show it to you guys at some point. But that could definitely smash two or three ounce, uh, three ounce, did he say? Meatballs. Uh, quickly, the barbecue guru, always believing that outdoor cooking should be easy and fun because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. Monolith, the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control, greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature and let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or a barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill and you can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. Go to bbqguru.com or call 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. We are back right after this. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, we're back. Thanks again to George Motes for killing it the past two segments. Big, I mean, big energy, right? And I've watched a lot of his videos, and he's very entertaining. I mean, he he's a pro, right? I mean, this is his this is his line of work. Does photography, does shoots videos, TV shows, these stuff. So he knows how to bring the production to life. And he brought incredible energy. That amped me up. I was like, yeah, 
Let's go. And great burger insight. Dropping some knowledge, some scoops, and some basic techniques. Not a fan of the egg yolk, I think we found out as well. We are pointing to the second hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Stick around.